This is Every Lady Needs a Hobby. On this Fisher's Murder Mystery Podcast. I'm Mackenzie. I'm Genevieve. This week we're reviewing Season 2, Episode 8. The Blood of Lana the Mad. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you mean blood, blood! of Lana the Mad? Blood! <laughs> uh. Once again, I feel the title does not accurately represent the plot of the story yeah but it's the name of the book i thought it was the book of hours the book of hours of one of the mad oh i guess there isn't blood in the name of the title but also that like we don't really learn episode, though. we don't learn much about one of the mad no i wonder if she's real and we should have researched her i did oh, not shit. research her i didn't research anything did you no Shoot. oh no i researched i did research something but i wonder if one of the mad was real i'm gonna look it up right now do it uh oh she might have been real queen juana the first of castile is generally known as joan the mad despite the nickname juana's madness has often been uh has often been disputed she may have been locked up for political reasons only either way she was a passionate woman who fell madly in love with her handsome husband and continued to caress him even after his death caress him after his death random okay this website is madmonarchs.gooseBeltman.nl. So... Well, that, that sounds like a really reliable source. <laughs> Listeners, you can count on us for accurate historical research. I can't believe I didn't research this. And I was like, I took a lot of time with this episode, too, because I really like it. But mm-hmm. anyway, she was the daughter, the second daughter of Queen Isabella I of Castile and King Ferdinand II of Aragon. According to Wikipedia, she married Philip the Handsome, Archduke of the House of Habsburg. A real dream. I mean, if if you're married to someone whose middle name is the Handsome in quotes, you know you've done well. Oh, man. You know, like, like there's all these, sometimes people who get famous have the little name that it gets put in quotes, like, uh, Scooter Libby. Scooter is in quotes. Yeah. But that's lame. That's not, like, the handsome. Maybe I should start calling myself Genevieve the Handsome Andrus. Genevieve the Handsome. I'm going to start calling you that. <laughs> um. <laughs> I don't think anyone would describe me as handsome, so. Well, I mean... Only because it's a gendered term, you know, but you can be handsome if you want. Thank you. Thank you for that. (laughs) Anyways, back to the matter at hand. Indeed. So, what did you think? Well, wait, before we get into it, I wanted to do a little housekeeping. Um, So, last episode, we mentioned that we'd be at Miss FisherCon, but gave no details, as uh, one of our listeners pointed out. (laughs) (laughs) It's not very useful if you perhaps want to join us. And or, you know, check out what's going on at the con. So, details. The con is July 25th through 27th in San Jose, California. You can find out more and buy tickets still available at www.missfishercon.com. Please join us if you can. We're really looking forward to it. We're going to put together a great show for everyone who joins us. And, yeah, we, we all hope, we hope to meet many of our listeners in person there and meet a lot more people who love Miss Fisher as much as we do. So Yeah, you guys should definitely come. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And we'll have more details soon about our <laughs> top secret live episode that we're going to record there. Top secret? It's Is not it top, not top, top secret? secret. I've told several people about it. Yeah. It's on the website for the con. Yeah, but it doesn't say what we're going to talk about. That's true. Could be anything. 
could be anything, literally anything. It might not even be about Miss Fisher. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that it's a list of all of the ways that Miss Fisher parallels the Harry Potter um, <laughs> series of books. But uh, like, I won't deny it either that that's what it um, is. I'm gonna I'm gonna veto that idea for a live show. Oh, but you already signed off on it. No, I didn't. That's have I been drugged? <laughs> you shouldn't have eaten the jam, Genevieve. <laughs> well, I'm gonna give an exhaustive, exhaustive rundown of every murder mystery I have read, every show I have watched. Episode by episode, so it's going to be hours of content. So oh my god, we could be there for days. Days. Literally days. Oh my gosh. Well, listeners, this is the kind of exciting stuff you have looking to look forward to. No, but seriously. you should definitely come. We won't be boring. We yeah, it's actually going to be great. Don't be afraid. Um. <laughs> uh, and as always, I always like to say that if you're enjoying your show, please... Um, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a rating because that kind of thing does make a difference. So, uh, and also we just love hearing from you as usual. So drop us a line, Twitter, yes, Instagram, please. Tumblr, on our website. You can leave a comment, whatever you want to do. All right. So one of the mad who we no. didn't research, but should have. <laughs> what do you think about this episode? I really, really like this episode. Um, a, I really love the scene at the end because it's great. Where they're on the motorcycle. But I also really like the character of Beatrice. You like Beatrice? Yes. Plus, we get a lot of Dr. Max screen time. Oh, yeah. I love Dr. Max screen time, you know. But what about you? What do you, what do you think of this episode? Um, yeah, I like it. It's, uh, of course, I love it when Dr. Mac is involved. She's got some great lines. Oh, yeah. Some real zingers. Yeah. Um, I like Beatrice as well. Uh, I like it when a uh, stuck-up little rich boy gets what's coming to him. Uh, With I, really floppy hair. It was so floppy and such a silly outfit, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another irritating rich boy in a silly jacket in this episode. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I was like, this reminds me of Alistar. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think the murder's like confusing. I, re- I really could not remember for the life of me who committed the murder until the very end. Yeah, I didn't remember until I thought it was Spall for a long time and then I was like no no that's like a huge red herring that they really draw out so yeah and it's I feel like there's a lot of clues in this like you know sometimes you might be able to put it together but in this one it's like it suddenly at the end there's this like extra skull and it's just like you yeah. you never would have guessed really well so. they definitely they hint around that the skull is important but yeah you don't know that the other skull exists yeah like so anyways yeah <clears throat> But I like it though. I like, yeah. It's uh, probably, it's up there. It's not like my favorite episode, but it's up there. Yeah. It's better than the next one, which I don't love. Oh, I know. I saw that one was coming up next, and I was like, oh boy, here we go. Well, so anyway, in this one, um, the cold open is, I guess it's not even so much of a cold open because it features characters that we know, namely Dr. Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, so she appears to be schooling some young co eds. They're like, reviewing something for an exam um, on a cadaver that is supposed to be a young woman, but as Ms. or as Dr. Mac pulls the sheet back, it turns out that it's a Professor Katz, who they all know. He's very dead. It's a super dead throat, just slid open. <laughs> it's quite gruesome. Yeah. So. Um, we also get introduced to uh, Mr. Brad, or Dr. Bradbury, who asks Mac when she's going to make her contribution to the gene pool. Um, 
and she says that this was her contribution <laughs> to the gene pool. And then um, it, we also learned that there's a medical prize competition for that afternoon. Right. And that's what they're reviewing for, I think, the exam for that yes. prize. Yes. Um, and this was a last minute. Well, I don't think we learned that now. But it was a last minute refresher course that they, they requested from Dr. Mack. Right. Um, so next up, Miss Fisher arrives on the scene, presumably called over by Dr. Mack. Um, and on her way into the building, she witnesses, uh, the female student from earlier, Beatrice, being bullied by a couple of other bros. Um, and like a third man sort of steps in and helps to defend her. Um, so then Mack, Miss Fisher goes in and Mack fills her in on the mix up with the cadavers. Um, and takes a big swig from her flask. <laughs> no, no, Friday brings her the flask. Oh, I missed that part. Yes, Friday walks in and immediately hands Dr. Mac a flask. I love it. That is friendship. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I wish we got more of these two just, like, being buddies, you know? I know. Oh, like, in the first episode, I feel like it never rivals the first episode where they're just, like, clearly, like, best friends and they try the cocaine and, like, the, the nerve powder, sorry. Oh my god, yeah, them trying the cocaine <laughs> like was like peak friendship. I know. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so then Jack arrives, um, and it's very awkward for everyone, but it turns out <laughs> Mac called them both there. Uh which I, I noted is sort of like a murder blind date. You know, because <laughs> neither uh, neither one knew the other one would be there. Um <laughs> And I guess we find out the cats was, like, in the furnace, I guess, set to be incinerated. Um, the heat of that room is now missing from the cabinet. Um, and finally, Dr. Mack thinks that Miss Fisher is too much trouble. Oh, yeah, I love this exchange where <laughs> um, Mack is like, what is going on? Because she can tell there's so much tension between Friday and Jack. And so Friday, like, fills her in and that d says that Jack has decided she's too much trouble. And Mac's like, well, yes, you are. And Friday's like, yeah, now he's running scared. And she's like, coward. <laughs> and I have to say I agree with Mac on that front. It's a great exchange. <laughs> I think there's only a couple of times where Mac comments on the dynamic between Jack and Franny, and this is one yeah. of them. Yeah, but she's just like, I think she's irritated. She's like, I called you both here because you guys are a good team, and I need you to solve this case. <laughs> and you're being stupid. <laughs> It's a bit like when Bert and Cess are fighting and Dot forces them to work together. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, we also meet Dr. Bradbury officially in this, who I refer to from here on out. He is, he's the dean of medicine and the head of the college, but I just refer to him as Mr. Gene Pool from here on out. <laughs> Mr. Gene Pool. Well, I couldn't remember his name at all, so that works for me. <laughs> <laughs> Contribution to the gene pool. Which is a weird thing to say to a woman who I think is perhaps visibly past the age of childbearing. I'd say she looks like she's in her mid-40s. Yeah. It's a weird thing to say to any woman of any age. It's inappropriate. Yeah, but I don't think, I don't think Dr. Bradbury sees the world perhaps the same way we see the world. Yeah, perhaps not. <laughs> um, he also, so besides I, making stupid comments, he also informs us that Professor Katz was well liked but very eccentric, the dead man. So, um, so then next up, Miss Fisher and Jack sort of start questioning some of the students. Who um, first off is Amos Oliver, who seems like kind of a prat. He blames it on Beatrice. Um, 
And then Jack and Miss Fisher walk separately to Katz's office, a bit like my brother used to do at the mall when he didn't <laughs> want to be associated with us, the rest of the family. That's kind of how it goes for them. <laughs> oh, and Friday's like, all right, like, you can walk two steps behind me. <laughs> Um, um, but this is, so this is the thing I did research, um, rel- related to Mr. Gene Poole Bradbury. Um, so one of the students, Charlie Street, is Bradbury's research assistant, and he tells Jack, or Phryne, I remember, that Bradbury's field of expertise is anthropometry. Right. I'm not saying that right, but it's the study of human proportions, so I looked it up. And as we find out also later in the episode, but it's been used in support of eugenics, so... Yeah, Mr. Gene Pool. Cool taste. Um, it also has, like, not sinister applications and, in, like, industrial design and, like, figuring out, you know, the study of human proportions. It does have some above-the-board, you know, uses, but Bradbury was not interested in those, I don't think. <laughs> no, I don't think that was the same. No. Not trying to, like, design the perfect bench height for all humans. No. I don't think that's what he was looking Based on average measurements. Nope. (laughs) Um, So at Katz's office, they encounter Beatrice, who is begging Hugh to let her inside uh, because she's his research assistant. She needs to get to his book. Um, She's just acting very strangely. Um, She she gets really angry when when Jack touches her, Mm -hmm. which is important later. Yep. Uh, But she is subdued, and they go into the office... Um, where it's obvious that someone got there first and they spilled a glass of water or a glass of something. Uh, and then Jack discovers that Katz uh, kept this like weird book in a safe um, and he claimed it was an ancient text, but Beatrice barges in and, and like fills them in on it. She thinks it had been like updated. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know, a lot happens in the scene, so fill me in if I miss anything. <laughs> But Yeah, so the book, Cat says that he found it in a monastery in Catalonia, but Beatrice has, like, found modern restorations in the book. Um, also, Franny offers Beatrice her card, because of course she does, and Beatrice looks at it and is like, Lady Detective, why do we need the police as well? And Franny's <laughs> like, that's a very good question. <laughs> oh my god, that's a great part. <laughs> um... Yeah, so the book... Did we say it was the, it's the book of Hours of Lana the Mad? Yep. Um, and we also learned that Katz and Beatrice have had a disagreement about the book, which is right. also important later. Um, and then Spall, who's the treasurer of the university, I think, shows up to creep about and smoke <laughs> his pipe. Um, and Miss he explains about the safe, how cats changed the um combination every day and then miss fisher is like well i can open it with this fancy water glass technique and she (laughs) opens the safe in like 30 seconds or less which seems pretty ridiculous but it doesn't matter because that safe is empty except for one page of the book is still in there yes i'll also note that jack looks very begrudgingly impressed when she opens the safe oh yeah i mean who wouldn't be (laughs) and he's sort you can just tell he's sort of like all right, fine, <laughs> fine. Yep. Uh, so then Beatrice is so upset about the missing book that she storms off with the page in hand, and she's kind of comforted by Miss Fisher. Uh, she, like, faces a pole and refuses to kind of look at her. Um, 
and then and then Franny, Franny like puts her head on the pole too. Yes, it's kind of, nice it's kind of a sweet moment. Yeah, yeah. Which is like, there's too many people. People are confusing. Franny's yeah, like, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, but then Beatrice spots some drops of blood leaning down the hall. Um, it's which a clue. is It's kind of weird that like the murder occurred the night before and the blood was just still there, as if like lots of people wouldn't have probably walked down those halls already and like tracked it around. Yeah, true. Um, although, do we think that the body was moved in the morning? But still. I would think, I don't think so because they say it was like exsanguinated in the garden during the night. So probably not. Right. I don't know. Well, anyway, they follow the drops of blood. Um, and then Jack, like, and Franny discover some swords just like randomly on a table in the hallway. And Miss and this Fisher... is so weird. Why are they just sitting there it on a table? Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And then Miss Fisher is like, "Those will be very sharp." And it's like, would they have been though? Would like a, a decorative sword just sitting out be sharpened to a deadly like? Well, the answer to that is yes, they were in this world. <laughs> I. It seems foolish. Just the utmost foolishness to have. Like, in a school that's mostly, like, teenage boys, <laughs> to just have these, like, dangerous swords sitting on, like, no. They would have been in a case. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And also, one of the swords has, of course, of course the first sword they look at has blood <laughs> on it, which is, like, if you kill someone with a sword, I'm pretty sure you would wipe it off before you just put it back. Like, that's your murder weapon. Come on. Well, I guess... You might have just thought that they would ignore the deadly weapon sitting out in the open for anyone to grab as a potential murder weapon. Well, the best place to hide something is in plain sight, allegedly. Yeah, but, like, it's probably not actually true. Not if Miss Fisher's sniffing around. Yeah, it doesn't matter where you hide it when Miss Fisher is sniffing around, because <laughs> she will find it. <laughs> so anyway, the blood leads out to the garden, where there's some spatter up high, indicating that this is where the throat slitting probably occurred. And, um... There's Beatrice is just sort of standing in a pool of blood in the grass, <laughs> <laughs> which is just, just gross. Which like, why was the blood in the grass? I think they like the the maybe they just let the body drain out there. Oh, I would have personally chosen a spot behind a bush or something. I don't know. Well, I probably wouldn't have murdered someone with a sword. So well, yeah. I mean, there's your first mistake. But I feel like all that blood would have attracted like animals or. At least, like, ants, you know, or flies. <laughs> uh, well, maybe there's no flies in Austria. No, there's definitely flies. There's gotta be flies. There's gotta be flies. Well, anyway, so the fainting Beatrice is caught by Jack um, and taken to Charlie's room, the boy who was defending her earlier. Um, and well, no, on... it, it's to the vice dean's office who's out of town. Oh, confusing. Right. But then it turns out that that's really where Beatrice is living. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, so Charlie helps them to kind of put her down, but he acts kind of suspiciously, seems to grab something, and then kind of runs off. Um, and Miss Fisher sends Hugh to follow him and find out what he's taken. I wonder how Jack will feel about that. <laughs> Not great, probably. <laughs> um, so then... When Beatrice wakes up, she finds a dead rat, which Oliver has left for her. More just boys being boys. Harmless pranks, am I right? Ugh. Gross. Ugh. 
Um, yeah, so she that's when we find out she appears to be living in this room after being kicked out of her flat for allegedly starting a fire, which she denies. Um, and she also reveals that she's paranoid that people are watching her. She's crazy. She's clearly crazy. <laughs> Classic technique used to discredit a powerful woman. Yes. Um, so then next, Miss Fisher and Jack are conferring with the faculty. Um, and I have in my notes here some skulls bullshit. So that's clearly uh, some important clues there that I just couldn't quite follow. <laughs> oh, so... <laughs> So yeah, it's Spall. So it's Pipe, Mr. Pipe Smoker and Mr. Gene Pool. Mm-hmm. Um, and they... Thank you for putting it in simple terms for me. Yes. Um, and they tell Jack and Franny that the other thing... So Katz kept the book in the safe. But the other thing he kept in the safe was the exhibit for the half-yearly exam, which was the skull. Mm. And the exam involves making clinical judgments based on a particular skull. Um, and then Bradbury gets in a little little jab to Miss Fisher that they may all look the same to your womanly gaze. <laughs> but... They are, in fact, different, and, like, part of the exam is to, like, examine the skull, and we learn that the, there's a number etched on the jaw. Again, this doesn't come into play until much later. It, anyways, and then Friday takes this opportunity to, to quote more Shakespeare to Jack, obviously. Oh, yeah. But Hamlet, not Antony and Cleopatra, no, so a less yeah. romantic play, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, we also find out that uh, Charlie is sort of, like, first generation at this school um and he is basically on a scholarship and so he needed to do well on this exam and then speak of the devil charlie wanders into the garden and drops the keys that he has picked up from the room earlier uh, but he's witnessed by hugh who hauls him in so this is my question this is supposed to be a brilliant a brilliant student and what does he do with a key that he's supposed to get rid of <laughs> he's sort of like in broad daylight like, very obviously and shiftily throws it into a flower bed with the police there. Why did he do that? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. No. Like, they weren't even going to search him. Maybe he was book smart, but not street smart. Clearly not. Like, how many... He had so much intervening time while they were talking to Gene Poole and Pipe Smoker. He could have thrown it down the toilet. He could have... He could have done any number of things with that. Yeah, I mean, at least if he'd gone to the bathroom, he could have been, like, you know, not witnessed at all. Yeah, you go in the stall, you close the door, you put it in the toilet, you flush. I've done that with countless keys I was trying to dispose of. Yeah, I've done it with all kinds of incriminating evidence. That's <laughs> what you do. <laughs> Anyways, he didn't do that. He very shiftily threw it very obviously into the garden. Or at least leave the school grounds. Like, go for a walk around the block. Throw it in somebody else's yard. <sighs> Incompetence. Well, Anyways, you know. he doesn't seem that smart. That's all I'm saying. No. So then Miss um, Fisher and Jack do a little bit of sparring in the hallway. And this scene is just, ugh, it's my favorite. <laughs> he doesn't want her to go. He needs her to go. Mm. Broken heart emoji. Oh, so heart-rending. <laughs> and I, it almost seems like she's going to cry. Like, she's quite affected by yeah. this. Yeah, but not really, because she immediately just says, bye, or says sayonara, and waits for him to leave, and then very just, like, has a smirk and keeps investigating, which, like, yeah. he knew she was going to do. Yeah. <laughs> Why does she say sayonara? Because of the, like, Japanese swords? I never understood that part. 
Oh, I think she was just being cheeky. Like, he, like he was leaving. He's like, you need to go home. Like, I need you to go home. And then they're all sad. And then she just, like, realizes in the midst of her sadness that all she needs to do is wait for him to leave. And she'll just continue on her way. Yeah. And he knows that, too. <laughs> so that is indeed what she does. She goes to check in on Beatrice and invites her to come stay at her house. Um, but you can tell she's definitely upset about what is happening with Jack because then afterwards she does her yeah. little face to the pole routine again. So yes, Jack. Um, oh, Jack. Yeah. Well, it all ends well. I know. Um. Um. So then, back at Miss Fisher's house, uh, Beatrice arrives. Uh, she again seems paranoid and acts strangely. She won't shake Dot's hand. She only eats jam sandwiches, <laughs> and which, like, I mean, been there when I was six. I only wanted jam sandwiches. <laughs> Sometimes I, I eat a lot of jam sandwiches. They're pretty good, I won't lie. They're pretty good, yeah. I'd eat one right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd take a jam sandwich right now. Yeah. Um, so she thinks she's being followed because of the Book of Hours. Um, her flat was searched. The people who searched it left notes, which were destroyed in the fire. I don't know that this is really ever totally wrapped up. I'm like kind of like, what the fuck is she talking about here? But Yeah, and... I, they, like, sort of imply that maybe Oliver set the fire, but I don't... Unclear. Unclear, yeah. There's a lot There's a lot of kind of loose ends in this episode, to be honest. Yeah. Um, well, so then she sets out all her notes on the Book of Hours in the parlor and kind of explains her observations about them, which is that, like, on every third page, there's, like, a uh, some kind of letter that's been changed or something. Could well, it be a code? Norm- yeah. It is definitely a clue. Yeah. Um, but for this, a random side plot, although. yeah, like a totally unnecessary, like weird, unexplained yes. side plot. Um, so then this explanation is interrupted by Mr. B passing out right into a jam sandwich. So then we get another scene of Mr. B just high out of his mind. Oh my god, poor Mr. B is always I getting know. drugged against his will. I know. Why can't the fudge, though? I mean, the fudge. No, he didn't know what it was. Yeah, he didn't know what it was. But he ate a lot of it. Uh, I mean, who could blame him? It's hard to put down fudge. I know, I know. Um, So Dr. Mack is called in to assess the situation, and her diagnosis is that he's had a heavy dose of sleeping pills, which is probably from Beatrice's jam. No surprise there. And I just wonder, if, if she's so particular and paranoid about things, why did she not, was she not suspicious of this jam that was left for her as a, a present? Yeah, well, it's funny because Dr. Mack is like, that makes sense because Beatrice likes labels and the, the jam said Beatrice's jam on it. <laughs> Which is sort of like, it reminds me of like a, I don't know, like a Winnie the Pooh or like a Roadrunner <laughs> episode or something where there's just like a jar and it says not poison on it. And you're yeah, like, oh, yeah, it's not it. poison. Okay, great. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's well, what maybe the she... <laughs> maybe they don't. Maybe she thought Charlie had left it for her. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, I feel like her and Charlie, maybe they're like good at um, medicine, but they're not super smart and logical about like human behavior yeah i think we've yeah i think that's pretty well established yeah well we've all met people like that um oh we also so the re this isn't really important but it it sort of plays in later but her and cats did fight they had they had a little disagreement because she thought no no never mind cut that i think they both thought that wana wasn't actually mad well yeah beatrice does mention that they agreed about like one and not yeah. being mad 
And Mac also states her opinion here, which is that she thinks um, Beatrice is very smart and talented and she'll be like an excellent doctor, um, but the faculty would prefer to give her spot to a man. And also, she's unlikely to have hurt cats, but if she did, she certainly would not lie about it. So then over at the station, um, Charlie is being questioned by Jack and Hugh. Uh, Those keys were to the furnace room. Um, He claims to have found them with Beatrice's things, and he thinks that Amos Oliver, a.k.a. the Golden Boy, planted them there. uh, Because Katz was trying to expel Oliver for cheating. Could it be a red herring? (laughs) I mean, Oliver is a little twit, but... He is, yeah. And I think he was definitely cheating, and he's definitely a jerk. Oh, yeah. So then he's hauled in next, and he says something funny about how, like, medicine is in his blood, but he says it in that funny voice. that uh, Blood. 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 <laughs> blood of one of the mad. It's in my blood. <laughs> um, yeah, and he then just acts like a complete prick and claims that Beatrice came to his room and tried to seduce him. And then stay there all night. Yeah, this is so weird. Like, I just don't understand. Yeah, it's like, why would he claim to have slept with her? Like, it just seems like it wouldn't hold up. Well, I think he's trying to make her look bad. Yeah, he is, definitely. But it definitely just makes him look bad. <laughs> yeah, at least in our eyes. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, um, we also learned that the medical prize exam, so this exam that's coming up, was normally held by Bradbury but was being held by cats this year. So we sense that perhaps Oliver is a little worried because with Bradbury, he could probably not do as well and still get top marks, but cats was not so favorable. Yes. Bradbury definitely would have been involved in this college admission cheating scandal. He definitely would have been. So then after the interview with Amos Oliver, Oliver Amos, whatever, two first names, man. (laughs) I think Amos is his first name. Uh, so Hugh is on the phone with Dot, which uh, he kind of pretends he's not when Jack comes out, but he actually <laughs> it's has... really funny. Yes. He's discovered the important information that Beatrice is at Miss Fisher's house, and Jack goes over there. He's like, I know where Beatrice is, but you're not going to like it. <laughs> I feel like that is a bit cheeky of him to say that, but... Yeah, but him and Jack have worked together for a long time now. That's true. Um, so Jack heads over there, and in the past he hasn't been squeamish about questioning suspects in Miss Fisher's parlor, but today he is not happy about it. Uh, yep, he wants, he really wants to get back to the police station. Yep. <laughs> and then Beatrice is like, no, I like it here. Yep. <laughs> um, so, Sorry, Jack. <laughs> so Beatrice has a very different version of events from Amos. Uh, She says, yes, she was in his room because Mr. Spall told her to go there uh, because Oliver allegedly invited her so that he could apologize for his bad behavior. But he appears to have drugged her and she just kind of like slept on his couch. Um, She also says that he killed another rat. And she's like, I just don't understand that. And I don't understand that either. Like, what, he killed a rat in front of her? Like, that's so weird. It's really weird. Yeah, I didn't get that either. I was like, I don't really know what's going on here. Also, why did Spall tell her? I don't understand why Spall was involved in this piece of it. Well, I think it was actually the other guy, right? Like, did they just... I mean, because he gave her the jam, didn't he? Yeah, but why? Or no, he sent... No, Spall did it because he was trying to get Beatrice away because she was guarding Uh, Katz's office and he wanted to get in there. Right. Yes. 
Um, but yes. uh, Miss Fisher and Jack think that perhaps Amos was just looking for an alibi. And right. so that's why he like lured Beatrice to his room. But it turns out he wasn't. And I think I was just confused about that because I hadn't remembered yet how the whole murder went down. Yeah, it's just a bit of a red herring. Yes. And, then and Oliver, I think, really wasn't complicit in it. He wasn't, He just no. chose to use it to his own stupid advantage. What an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then finally Jam t- Jack takes the Jam. Jam takes the Jack to test it for sleeping pills. <laughs> jam. Yep. Jam and Jack. <laughs> um, and then next up, later that night, Beatrice is up late studying when someone cuts the power and tries to kill her in the kitchen and steal her notes. Miss um, Fisher tries to put a stop to this, uh, gets whacked, but catches the guy's like handkerchief or something, um, which smells like a pipe. It must be small. Dun dun! It's small! <laughs> And, you know, I feel like he kind of gets away at the end of all of this, like, scot-free. But he tried to kill her. He, like, showed up and choked her. Yeah, he really is um, he's a dangerous guy. Yeah, not my favorite. <laughs> Pipe-smoking yeah. weirdo. Um, so then back at the college, Jack is interviewing Spall the next morning, and Miss Fisher barges in and confronts him about the intrusion. Uh, Wait, to, to be clear, she arrives in full purple velvet yes she like really makes an entrance <laughs> forgive me for overlooking this important point <laughs> with a feathered cloche hat as well yes. <laughs> she was just like getting ready that morning and you, you know when i get ready in the morning i think what am i wearing to work today do i have a meeting like who's gonna be at the meeting is it a peer is it you know someone do i need to impress like what am i gonna wear and usually i just fall back on the same old outfit but Friny got up this morning and thought what am i doing today oh right i'm needling jack and trying to worm my way into this investigation he doesn't want me on what do i need to wear (laughs) what says confronting an attempted murderer i think the purple velvet also looking really good to make jack realize what he's missing oh yeah definitely it's like when you know your ex is going to be at a party so you just put a little extra effort oh yeah exactly (laughs) anyway sorry i just had to 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 discuss this really important point very important (laughs) um so his pipe smells like the handkerchief which obviously proves that it was him (laughs) obviously yeah he's got no alibi Um, no he does he says he's going over the accounts all night all night. Yeah. Just with those accounts. Just but going over them. No one can corroborate that, so. Well, maybe they should ask the accounts. Yeah, well. <laughs> you know, it's interesting now. Probably if you said you were going over your accounts all night and it was on the computer, you probably could use that as an alibi. Because you could look back at the computer and see whether the accounts are being looked at. Well, you know, in the book Artemis, which is the same author as The Martian, there is a character who creates a device to make it seem like she's on her computer all night to give her an alibi for a crime she commits. Okay, well, scratch that theory. <laughs> well, this is, um, you know, uh, it's sci-fi set on the moon, so... Well, I'm... but you probably could still just set up, like, a macro to be running on your computer so that it looks like you're doing stuff and you're not. Yeah, I guess so. Logging you into online banking and whatnot. Yeah. Well, anyway... <laughs> Anyways, uh, at this the point, point is that Spall doesn't have an alibi. <laughs> nope. And it was definitely him. So, 
I also love the way Miss Fisher takes the pipe and smells it and goes, hmm, vanilla. <laughs> like, it's just funny. <laughs> yeah, she's very, she's just like, she's got him, you know, she just goes, hmm. she's got him. Oh, so Spall also just makes another stupid comment about how crazy Beatrice is. She's clearly crazy. You can't trust anything she says. <laughs> Um, so then Jack and Phryne spar over who will, who will do the questioning, um, while Spall airs some grievances about educating the working class. He really, he really just doesn't. Ugh. Uh, he doesn't want to be edu- Him and Bradbury have that in common. Um, they're both pretty good villains. Save us from these working class students. Mm. His father, his father works in the dark. Ugh, riffraff. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah. So anyways, Phryne suggests that Small may have told Katz to confiscate the book and because he had his eye on it as an asset for the college, which is like not at all true, but he's just trying to get it out. Yeah. And then Spall huffs out with his pipe. (laughs) Um, So then Hugh arrives to say that Professor Bradbury wants to see them in the anatomy labs and Jack is really huffy about Phryne being there. Um, So (laughs) Phryne pretends to leave and once again just inserts herself by, like, following Hugh and knocking a bunch of evidence out of his hands. Oh, my God. It's so obvious, too. She it's just, so like, obvious. grabs it and knocks it down, and then she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's like, oops. So good. So good. <laughs> and then just starts looking through it. So in the in this box of files from Spall's office, they find a file with all the professors' photos and notes in them. So it's like a bunch of dossiers on the professors. What a weird thing to do. Yeah, so they take that down to the station. Um, and it looks like like they did some background on Spall. He was a naval cryptographer, so a code breaker. Um, and it looks like he's been gathering info on his colleagues for someone. And we also find out down at the station that the drugged jam had scopolamine in it. Scopolamine? Scopolamine. That's gotta be it. <laughs> Anyways, it's not a widely known drug, but it has been used to extract information. Oh, dun dun. Like, but it, it seems, so far we've seen it just knock people out. How do you extract information from someone who's just asleep? Yeah, and I mean, like, if so, then we missed a key opportunity to find out, like, Mr. Butler's secret scone recipe. Maybe that just happened off camera. Yeah, I bet it did. Yeah, I bet it did. And like, so you, you know Dot knows that recipe. Yeah, she probably does. Um, I would like to note that I, too, keep secret notes on my colleagues. I have, like, a little dossier. <laughs> and it says things like, you know, prefers carrot cake or allergic to apples, which is important information when I'm purchasing treats for their birthdays. So maybe, so you're saying maybe Spall was just wanted to get everyone a really thoughtful birthday present? Yeah, because, like, you know, there's nothing worse on your birthday than being surprised with a cupcake and having to pretend that you like it, but it's actually the wrong flavor. So it's good to keep notes on these things. Literally nothing worse. I can think of nothing worse. Yeah, well, I mean, the only thing worse would be is if you were actually allergic to the cupcake, which is why I also keep allergen notes. You should really expand this and, and keep more detailed notes in case, you know, a private investigator ever comes poking <laughs> around. Well, sometimes it is helpful to write down things people mention so that you can bring them up later. I'm not saying that I do this, but... Um... <laughs> Just saying it might be a good idea. (laughs) That is really smart. That's what you're supposed to do. Like, when I was a gift officer, it's like you meet with someone and you meet with a lot of people. You're not going to remember just offhand 
what the one person told you like about their kids you have to you have to write all that down oh yeah yeah and you gotta you reference know. it before you talk to them again you just reference the notes and you're like how'd the um the gymnastics week go for your daughter exactly <laughs> Also, I feel like as I get older, I just remember things less than I used to. Uh, yeah, I have a terrible memory. So maybe I need to start keeping dossiers on everyone in my life. <laughs> um, so then Phryne runs home and asks Beatrice about the pattern in the Book of Hours, because since Spall is a cryptographer, obviously it's a clue and the book has a code in it. Um, so on every third page, there's new ink in the calligraphy. So um, we also find out that, that Katz had bought the book after the war. And Beatrice, her notes were stolen by the intruder Spall. But Beatrice does have a list of the characters that were the characters that were written in different ink. Yes. So then Franny strides back to the crime scene, produces the evidence. <laughs> But won't show it to Jack unless he help, lets her help. And she says, it'll be the usual price. Yeah, I thought that was cute. Because, <laughs> I mean, usually they do have this little negotiation, but it's yeah. often more good natured and less yes. actually oppositional. <laughs> right. <laughs> but she's like, no, no, no. You have to let me in on these interviews. Yeah. And um, at this point, has Spall been hauled in? Is he in custody? Yes, because then they go and question him. Mm-hmm. About the dossier he keeps on his colleagues. Um, so yeah, I guess I missed saying that they locked him up. Yeah, I don't know. It's a little unclear. But I think they did after they established that he was the intruder. Yes. Um, so then Franny Fry- says that, that Spall convinced Katz to lock up the book um, and then tried to get at it when Beatrice started finding anomalies. So Spall kind of figured out that this was a code and he was pro- presumably on the hunt for this book already again not made clear um but again she's guarding the office so he drugged her um and hugh keeps trying to to barge in <laughs> to say excuse me excuse me and it's really because he just really has to go to the bathroom oh my god it's so funny <laughs> um and then he conveniently rushes to the bathroom and what does he see but a skull with the missing manuscript page in its mouth in the bathroom which again how did it get in there who put it in there? Yeah, it's unclear. It must have been, been Oliver. Yeah, I think it must be because he's like, he's just stole it to cheat. And now he's like involved in a murder investigation that he has mm-hmm. nothing to do with. So he's probably just trying to like, you know, yeah. put the evidence back somewhere. Yes, I but, think that, that must be it. But they don't really ever establish that. But yeah, he, we do know that he's the one that took this call. So. But they're playing fast and loose with the pages of this like rare and expensive <laughs> book. They're just like ripping them out and rolling them up. Like that shit was probably delicate, precious, and like irreplaceable. It definitely was. <laughs> but again, I mean, Oliver, we've established, not the brightest ball in the box. So no. <laughs> um. So they take the skull to. Oh, also, there's this like really just a really awkward scene where presumably Hugh like. Has pissed on himself. Yeah, it like gets really excited and just has a little accident. Oh my god! Yeah, it's he, just kind of awkward. It's so funny because the, the way they frame it, it's like he's peeing and <laughs> he like reaches up with one hand to get the skull, and then he has to like catch it. So he definitely has just dropped his dick with the other hand. <laughs> like they're that's what they're indicating. Hilarious. Uh, anyways, it's really funny. I did not remember that from watching the episode before. I was like, oh, that is hilarious. Uh, yeah. Um, so then Mac examines the skull 
and she had gotten earlier the like serial number of the skull for the medical examination um and the numbers match but it's not the normal like categorizing system which i don't under i don't understand because bradbury would have noticed that too yeah i don't i don't know well i think it wasn't actually supposed to be used for the exam it was was bradbury gives them the code of the skull that is being used for the exam i'm pretty sure and they match though yeah this the code matches very maybe he's just trying to cover his tracks at that point he doesn't want to admit that it's like fishy i don't know he was trying to destroy the skull i don't i don't anyways it gets really confusing well maybe now that cats is dead he doesn't think he needs to destroy the skull yeah maybe i don't know anyway anyways so um charlie is there and friday um and he thanks friday for taking beatrice in and then just like runs away so Friday, of course, follows him, finds another page of the book, and another is strewn all over the place, this priceless manuscript. Um, and then Spall is also skulking around, and then Street is digging in the garden, and it gets really dramatic. Oh, yeah. Spall pulls a gun, uh, Friday distracts him, while Jack tackles him. It's great teamwork. It's great teamwork. Although I think the most dramatic and heart-wrenching moment is how dirty that book is. And it's like, oh my god, just, oh my god, irreparable damage done to this ancient manuscript. And, like, why, again, why didn't, uh, Oliver could have just put it back in Katz's office. Or at least put it in a bag before burying it in the dirt. It just buried, he put one page in the skull and then buries the rest, strews a bunch through the oh my god hallway and then buries it in the ground. Why didn't anyway. he just leave it in the men's room with the skull? I don't know! I don't know. It is never explained, but I guess, you know, this guy's not that smart, so we've already established right. that. He's just cheating his way through med school. Yes. Um, so then, Friday picks up the gun, holds it at Spall, the gig is up, and mm-hmm. then Spall is taken to jail. So I don't think he was in jail before, they were just questioning him. Right, yes. Um, so Jack asks him, what's so important about this book? And then he defers and says, you're barking up the wrong tree, the killer is still out there. Yeah, he's, say he's very opaque about the whole thing. He won't really admit that he's, like, definitely a spy. Well, I mean, if you were a spy, I don't think you'd admit it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's why I would never be recruited for being a spy. <laughs> yeah, I'd be a terrible spy. I'd be a terrible spy. I'd be the worst. I'd be like, oh, my God, you'll never guess what just happened. I'm literally a spy. <laughs> and they'd be like, yes, okay, so you're cut, you're cut from the spy program. And I'd be like, what, really? <laughs> But I just wanted to tell all my friends about my cool new job. I'd be like, Snapchat story, like, my Instagram story. I'd be like, what filter should I use? Should I do the bunny ears, like, filter for this one? Or, like, maybe I'll do the, like, is there, like, a disguise filter where I'm wearing, like, the glasses with a nose and the mustache? I think that's the best one for my spy announcement. (laughs) Guess what? I'm a spy now. (laughs) Undercover agent McKenzie. (laughs) (laughs) um anyways spall is an okay spy in the end he's not a great spy but at this point he he puts jack off um so jack brings charlie in for more questioning he says he got a note telling him where the book was this morning but doesn't know who it's from but the note says look where the old coot died which is exactly the words that oliver used 
for cats when they first met him. So my takeaway from this is that you should never have catchphrases because they will be your downfall. Yeah, this is like when that somebody in the White House like leaked a letter to the New York Times being like, we are working hard to undermine the president. And they used the word Lotus Star and everyone was like, oh, yeah. it's Mike Pence. Do you think it was really Mike Pence? Um, If it was, it's he's really stupid. But... <laughs> I don't think it was Mike. I don't think so either. Um, anyways, yeah, don't have a catchphrase and just probably don't work at the White House. Um, yeah, and probably don't like write self-congratulatory letters that you send anonymously to the New York Times. Oh, I've done that a lot. You have? Oh, self-congratulatory? Oh, oh, yeah, all the time. They never <laughs> publish them for some reason. That's, maybe if you use more interesting <laughs> vocabulary like Lotus Stars. <laughs> or load stars. I'm not sure how to pronounce that word, but I think it's a load star. What a weird word. Who uses that word? Anyways, Mike Pence does apparently. All right, so they figure out that Oliver sent this note because he has a catchphrase and it's old coot. Um, <laughs> cool guy. I hope he's patented that one because I think it's really going to catch on. <laughs> So then Jack goes back to the school and confronts Oliver about his little catchphrase. And then he's like, oh, I didn't kill cats. I just took the book to get back at Charlie. And he was really after the skull because he's a cheating cheater. <laughs> um, and then Beatrice came to his room expecting an apology. And Oliver thought that cats had sent her. Um, so he went to his office after Beatrice fell asleep to, like, confront him and be like, hey, stop sending, stop sending ladies to my room. <laughs> um, but Katz wasn't there, so he saw the skull, knew it was for the test and the book, which he knew was valuable, so he took both. Um, it closed the safe. I don't know why he did that, but he did. And then flees the scene. What a little prick. And then he gets in some, like, complaints about Charlie and Beatrice not deserving to be at college. Ugh, disgusting. But Friday puts him in his place and strides out dramatically, so. Yes. Um, and then back at the ranch, the ranch being Friday's house, <laughs> um, Jack, Friday, and Beatrice are attempting to break the code in the book. Um, and they discover that it reads, Williams and Corbett, double agents. And here we are introduced to a totally random side plot that no one saw coming. Oh my god, please tell me this is what you researched. No. Oh. It was only the, <laughs> it was only the, the, the gene pool medicine. I'm really sorry. Ah, oh, shoot. So you didn't figure out, like, if these were real traitors that were executed by the Australian government or something? No. I don't think if they were, well... I'll look it up right now. Hang on. Also, the part where they, like, PLP, like, pulp, that's code for them being, like, assassinated. Mm -hmm. Like, couldn't that also just mean that they prefer pulp in their orange juice? And wouldn't that be more likely? I mean, like, this is simpler of the two explanations, I think. Um, but why would you put that in a book? Well, people have strong opinions about pulp in the orange juice. I mean, it's like, you know, like, families have been torn apart over this. It's it's been? serious, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I guess you weren't there for the serious arguments that my brother and I had on this topic as young children. Well, yeah, I mean, I definitely know it's a. Uh, uh, it doesn't look like this was real. Okay, cool. So it was both unnecessary and also not even historically accurate. There is a MI six spy whose last name was Garth who was murdered by Russian hitman after sexual photo blackmail plot. But I don't think that's what this is referring sexual to. Sexual photo blackmail plot. Know, All right. The... Can't get enough Anyways. of that. Yeah, that's not this. Anyway, so um, 
they cracked the code. Um, it's about these airmen who went down and they received bravery, bravery awards, but were really assassinated by the government. Um, so then Jack asks Spall about this code and um, how they were, you know, murdered by their own by their own side. And Spall sort of like sort of admits it, but then reiterates that he didn't kill cats. He found out he was dead and went for the manuscript. Um, and so he was the one in the office before Jack and Franny arrived who knocked over the glass of water. Mm-hmm. And then a mysterious call comes through to release Mr. Spall immediately. So he really is an agent of the government. He's like a special agent for the government. Oof. Which again, does not excuse his behavior. Definitely not. But I do wish that whenever I was in trouble, like someone would just call and get me out of it. <laughs> like if I, you know, um eat something that Dan was looking forward to if, like, his cell phone would just ring and it would be just, like, a secret government agent being like, don't be angry at your wife for finishing the chocolate. And then he just would be like, I guess I have to listen to that one. Do you think you would listen? Well, in this scenario, yes, because, you know, it would be a government official from high up high. So you're saying next time you do something that you know Dan is going to, like, annoy him, like, I should just call him from a, from a different number and pretend to be Mike Pence and tell him... <laughs> And, and make sure to use the word Lodestar. Uh, yeah, because otherwise you won't believe that it's Mike Pence. Right. But I can't say I'm like Mike Pence. Yeah. Anyways, okay. Yeah, but like, I mean, maybe not Mike Pence because like he, I'm not sure he would be willing to be like in a room alone with me to confer about secret spy things. So it might not be very convincing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that wasn't my a lot, best. A lot, of, a lot of Mike Pence... More Mike Pence in this episode than I was expecting. Yeah, well, unfortunately, there's more Mike Pence in my life than I was ever expecting prior <laughs> to the enough, last election, which was uh, very surprising to us all. Um. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so down at the college, Mac has summoned Jack and Franny to look at the skull. Um, and the reason the code was different is because it's from Hartley University. Oh, yes. So... Charlie says the skull wasn't for the exam. Katz was keeping it safe. So then Mac and Miss Fisher go to talk to Bradbury. They show him the skull. And then he flips out about the skull. Again, a late coming, you know, side plot. Just actually like, out of nowhere. Much like, might I add, not to not to make another Harry Potter reference, but like the Deathly Hallows <laughs> the seventh Harry Potter book. You felt this that a late breaking plot device. You felt that came out of nowhere? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the, the cloak had was had been there since book one, and the ring was sort of foreshadowed in the previous book. The, the he, wand was a bit of a stretch. Yeah, there was a lot of elements introduced in the seventh book that were not present <laughs> in the previous six. Um, please don't denigrate my childhood. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just saying the seventh book had a lot of new plot devices that I wasn't expecting. And I'm turning a blind eye to every last one of them. <laughs> necessarily a bad thing i'm just <gasps> yeah no i mean there's a lot of plot holes in those books yeah and i love them just the same just as much as i love this tv show which i you know relentlessly mock every two weeks when we record an episode i love it yes <laughs> anyways the point is the skull um bradbury f- flips out it's he says it's he undermines a lifetime of research that he was about to present and he had told charlie to incinerate it which like why didn't he do it himself the, again this man does not seem very smart no. but charlie took it to cats instead because 
Charlie I, apparently does have a little bit of smarts. Um, so Bradbury figures this out, confronts Katz, Katz runs, Bradbury snatches the conveniently placed murderous weapon and kills him. And then when he gets back, the skull is gone, um, along with the book. So he plants the key in Beatrice's things to frame her. Um, he then really just comes out strong with the gene pool, eugenics thing. Mac confronts him about it. Ugh. And it turns out the skull was of the first black woman to graduate with honors from Harley University. So Why did Jack they have was, her skull? I don't know. I assume she, like, like donated her body to science when she died. Is this, like, a real person, you think? They didn't say her... Did they say her name? Uh, no. Yeah, I don't think they say her name, so... Um, so Jack goes to arrest Bradbury, but he charges, grabs the skull, and leads... Leaves the leaves the scene, which leads to the best scene, where Jack runs after him, leaps onto his motorcycle. But is whose motorcycle is it? It's just like a random motorcycle. It's a very conveniently placed motorcycle. With the keys in it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Jack came on the motorcycle. I like to believe that Jack came on the motorcycle. Oh, I'd love to believe that. Like he's, you know, he's having a rough week. He just needs to. Needs to be, he's tooling around his motorcycle. So I didn't take so the had, bike. Yeah, the bike handy. And uh, so Friday leaps on behind and he says, what are you doing? And she says, what we do best. And I'm afraid I'm going to have to touch you. <gasps> Shocking. <sighs> so then they chase Bradbury with the motorcycle around the courtyard. Uh, finally catch up to him, cut him off. And Friday pulls Jack's gun on him. And huh, it's just very very dramatic and great. I like that they also have like a GoPro camera on the motorcycle. I love that that yes. footage is included. And I love the moment where Jack's hat flies off. Yes, it's so good. I wonder if that was like not scripted, but they decided to just use the shot anyway. I hope so. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of the like, uh, the scenic railway. A little bit, it's, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, obviously actually a, a like important work-related event. Yeah. <laughs> not a frivolous, you know fun time by the seaside so then back at the ranch mac reads her dossier from spall so like the file on her um and it's kind of funny and and she says spot on even though it's like she's you know difficult and weird so she has like socialist um, tendencies or yeah. something <laughs> questionable associates yeah and, then, and she likes she prefers lemon squares for her dessert oh that was in there um yeah <laughs> No. That's not true. <laughs> she might, you think, though. You think Mac likes lemon squares for dessert? Well, she likes her tea with lemon. True. Yeah. yeah makes sense. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> um, and then we, <laughs> Mac also says that apparently Bradbury was kept encouraging her to procreate. Um, <laughs> and she just makes some hilarious comments about having to find the, the you know, the most intelligent man to procreate with if she... If she was into that. Yes. <laughs> and then she tells Jack not to get uncomfortable, although he would be her first choice. If she oh, my gosh. It's, funny. it's kind of a, it's funny, but it's also kind of weird. <laughs> it's like it's a, a little weird. Yeah. It's a weird thing to say, but. Um, and then we learn that Oliver was expelled. The staff was sort of destroyed after several of their members were arrested uh, and murdered. And, but Miss Fisher has set up a research scholarship, which has gone to Beatrice. Aww. So. Um, and then Friday and Jack have a little, what I have in my notes is a DTR. What is that? A DTR? 
know. Define a relationship. Oh. <laughs> Is that what the kids are saying these days? I mean, like, probably like five years ago, that's what they were saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he says they're going to, it's going to be a little tricky, but they'll figure out the steps and it's probably going to be a waltz. <laughs> Ooh, foreshadowing. Which seems, which just seems like an about face from Jack because he's definitely flirting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And seems like he's going to grudgingly allow them to work together again. I mean, thank goodness. I know. I think in reality there would have had to have been a lot more negotiating and, and it would have taken longer to arrive at this point, but I'm glad it only lasted for one episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they have a, a nightcap and significant glances are exchanged and that's the episode. Love it. Um, murder recap? Oh, I don't know. Okay. I'm going to do my best. <laughs> All right. Okay, so Professor Gene Poole Bradbury has some stupid research that he's working on regarding the superior intellect and physical evidence that the white male brain is the best. Ugh. However, reality is pesky getting in his way as a black woman has graduated with honors from Hartley University and presumably donated her skull to research when she passed. He obtains the skull, but instead of doing the scientifically integral thing and incorporating it into his research, as a good scientist would do, he tells his minion, Charlie Street, to incinerate it. But Charlie actually does have some integrity, so he takes it to Professor Katz, the champion of students like Charlie, who is a child of dock workers. Um, so Professor Katz also happens to have a valuable book of hours of Lana the Mad, which is both the subject of his research with student Beatrice Mason, and also, somehow, for some reason that is never explained, the vehicle of a coded message about double agents during the war. <laughs> yeah, completely unclear why. Uh, so both things are in his office just lying around when Bradbury comes in to confront him about the skull and try and get it back. So... Katz makes a run for it because he realizes Bradbury is crazy. Bradbury follows him out of the office, kills him with a dangerous sword, which has for some reason been stored out in the open, sitting on a table. <laughs> and then he just resheathes the sword back in the scabbard. Resheathes the sword, sets it back on the table. How convenient. Um, he comes back to the office, the skull and the book are gone because Amos, golden boy, Oliver, has stolen them. Ugh. Thinking the skull is for the exam that Katz is administering the next day. And because he's a cheating cheat and the book is valuable, plus important to his favorite target to bully, Beatrice Mason. Spall, meanwhile, and random side plot, is after the book because he's an intelligence agent and knows it contains a coded message about the double agents. <laughs> which is never explained. <laughs> Uh, he sees fit to attack young students like Beatrice and Charlie to get at the book and threaten them with a gun, attack them in private homes. Um, but ultimately, he is not the culprit and gets off scot-free because he's an intelligence officer and has friends in high places. So Oliver plants the book with Charlie to cast blame on him. No, he tells, no, I don't, he tells Charlie where the book is and then Bradbury plants the key to the incinerator with Beatrice and Charlie steals the key to to keep the blame from being cast on Beatrice um and he also put the no uh, I don't know no Amos writes Charlie a note telling him where the book is and he digs it up right and Bradbury plants the key with Beatrice to cast blame on her since he used the key to put Katz's body down by the incinerator mm-hmm 
And my question, in doing this murder recap, we haven't discussed it yet, what happened to the original cadaver? Good question. That the tag was for? Good question. Maybe he just made a fake tag. He must have made a fake tag. Probably, yeah. That, yeah, that, that's got to be it. Because I was like, did he incinerate it? But if he incinerated that cadaver, why didn't he just incinerate the murder victim? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. He must have, yeah, it must have been fake. There must have been no other cadaver. There, yeah, he must have just made a fake tag. <laughs> Anyways, several unexplained points, but that's that's where we're at. That's very very confusing. <laughs> very confusing. <laughs> All right. Oh, best outfit. Um, okay, so I have a bit of an unusual choice here. Bear with me. Oh boy. Can't wait. Um, in several scenes, Jack is wearing a black knit tie with white stripes on it. And you can only say a little bit of it because he's always wearing a jacket and vest, but... I really like that tie. Wow, I didn't even notice that. It's, I'm going to have to look back and find it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hiding in plain sight, if you will. But it's a striking tie. All right. And, yeah. and I love a knit tie. I think it's a, it's a, it's an unusual choice, but a good one. Yes. Well, Jack has impeccable style, so. He does. And I just, I can't get over, like, the three-piece suit thing is just really, it's a really good look. Why don't men wear three-piece suits to work nowadays? I will continue to be devastated about it until the end of my days. I just... And, like, if I could wear fantastic hats to work every day. Oh, yeah. And men were all in three-piece. Like, every one I worked with that was men, it was a man just wearing a three-piece suit. Oh, yeah. Be ideal. Ideal. I'd be wearing a fabulous hat. Anyways, my best outfit, no surprise here, is Friday's purple velvet jacket and hat combo. Oh, yeah. For striding into interrogations where you are not welcome. Oh, man. What an entrance. Every lady needs that outfit. Oh, yeah. I think we should change the name of our show to Every Lady Needs a Velvet Jacket. <sighs> I have a velvet jacket. I don't regret it. <laughs> um, worst outfit? Uh, I had Amos Oliver's stupid bow tie and blazer combo. Mm. Yeah, I had Amos Oliver's trimmed jacket and cable knit sweater combo. But the bow tie oh. was also bad, so. Yep. <laughs> it was all. It was all bad. Uh, I'm glad we agree on that. Yeah. And, like, good on the costume designers for giving him an appropriately smarmy outfit. Yeah. But, like, believable, too. Yeah. It was it was spot on. Of the time. Um, best week? So, I went with Beatrice because she gets a scholarship, solves the book mystery, all without getting too ruffled. You know? She keeps her cool. I also had Beatrice. Nice. It was a good week for Beatrice. Plus, her, like, bully, the person who's bullying her and, like, leaving dead rats in a room gets expelled. Yeah, sure. I mean, okay, let's keep in mind her, like, professor, her favorite professor, was brutally murdered. That's true. Bad week on that on that front. Yeah. Um, worst week? Well, I had Oliver, but <laughs> in retrospect, that seems like the wrong choice. <laughs> I mean, he had a bad week. He did get expelled, but he'll probably bounce back. Um, I went with Dr. Mac because her colleagues turn out to, like, mostly be douchebags or murdered. <laughs> yeah, because it seems like she liked Bradbury. Like, I don't think she realized how stupid he was. Yeah. Um, but I did want to give honorable mention worst week to Amos Oliver because, like, mm -hmm. when you take a lollipop away from a rich white boy like that, like, you know, he's going to whine about it a lot. So, like, perceived best week from his perspective is is probably, like... Or worst week is probably pretty high for him, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, he's going to be whining about that for the rest of his life. Yeah, and he's going to be talking about how those, like, <laughs> women and, like, 
dock workers' children are just unfit and how they took his opportunities away from him. <laughs> how dare they? Doesn't even have a jacket with trimmed, striped trim on it. Anyway. <laughs> um, new skill. Um, safe cracking in 30 seconds or less. Uh, yeah, that was a good one, but I think we've seen her do it before. Have we? Well, we've seen her... Mm, we've seen her pick yeah, locks. We've seen her pick locks. Isn't the strong box in the circus episode, isn't it a tumbler? No, it is just a padlock, and she has oh, the strong man yeah, smack yeah, it, smash it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, okay, maybe we have... I put code breaking, because like this is presumably a really like tricky code to break, but they break it. I guess so, but it kind of seems like... Beatrice is the one who finds the code. True. But, you know, they're both I only didn't put safe cracking because I thought we had seen her do it before. Yeah. Um, the murder? I put eight. I mean, it was a conveniently placed sword, but it was also just a very dramatic chain of events. (laughs) Yeah, I also gave it an eight because swords and, like, that blood spatter up on the ceiling, you know? Yeah, the pool of blood in the garden and, like, the trying to get it incinerated and then disguising it as a different corpse and having it revealed in front of a bunch of medical students. I mean, it's epic. It's and anytime epic. there's an exsanguination, you got to give extra points for that. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, sexual tension. I put 7.5 um, because it's just like simmering under the surface the whole time. There isn't any like classic faces close together like in the beginning, but like we're beyond that now, you know? Oh, yeah. We're, real. we're on another level. Yeah. Um, I gave it an eight. Um, seven of those eight points are for that scene in the hallway where he tells her that he doesn't want her to go. He needs her to go. <gasps> and then she, well, she says, do you really want me to go? Um, and then the final point is, uh, of the eight is for the discussion of the waltz at the end. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely at the end, things start heating up. <laughs> I think that wraps us up. It does. And next week we do Framed for Murder. Mm, Not our favorite. But you know what that means, listeners? Plenty of good jokes about it. (laughs) (laughs) Good jokes. Maybe that can be my quotes name. Genevieve, good jokes. (laughs) Sort of like a sarcastic, like, good jokes. Mackenzie Mockery Clark. (laughs) We're armed and dangerous with humor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right. Uh, Also, we have merch online. I'm just going to keep plugging it. Yeah, please buy the merch because it's cool. Um, And as I said earlier, uh, rate and subscribe. We love hearing from you. Um, So send us your corrections, your questions, your suggestions, and anything else you want to say. And... See you in two weeks. Yeah. Every lady needs a hobby. Why <laughs> are you talking so slow? I don't know. All right, one more time. This is... This is Every Lady <laughs> Needs a Hobby. That's not always so... I'm Genevieve. <laughs> I'm Mackenzie. <laughs> 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 <laughs>